0: Well, um, we've been talking about God and life, how God connects to our lives. And this is the the last part of John's letter. So we've been looking at a letter in the Bible called 1 John. And this is Pastor John writing a letter to the church, helping them really to see how God connects to their lives. But here's what John's going to tell us tonight as he closes out this letter. He's going to say that it's not just connecting God to our lives, but which God are you connecting to your life? See, there's, there's two gods. There is the one true God. And then there's anything else and everything else that we can set up as a God in our life. Something that we can look to as a God in our life. And ultimately you will have God connect to your life. One God or another will connect to every part of your life and every single part of your life will flow out of being connected to some God that you worship, whether that is the true God or some idol. And this is what John is going to say. The, the last line of how John closes his letter, the very last line, I mean, think about when you close an email or when you close a letter, how, how do you sign off your letter? Yours truly, sincerely, sincerely. Blessings, much love. I love you, I miss you. How, how, however, you sign your letters, John ends his letter not like that, but the last line is little children, keep yourself from idols. And now this is not him just introducing some new subject. This is not him just all of a sudden out of the blue saying something that he hasn't talked about at all. He hasn't used the word idolatry or idol yet in the book. But really, this is the summary of everything that he's been talking about. The summary of the whole book of what he has been saying In different words, is that we are to worship the one true God and not to worship other things, to keep ourselves from idols. And so, in this last part of the letter, really, John's going to kind of recover the different topics that he's already touched on. He's going to retouch all the different things that he, the major themes and the major subjects that he's talked about thus far. And he ends it with, Keep yourself from idols, because that is the whole. Theme of the book that he's actually been talking about, though without using that word. So, what does he mean? He says, little children, keep yourself from idols. So, what are idols? If John tells us, hey, keep yourself from idols, what are idols? What, what are idols? See, when we think of idols, most of the time what we would think of is some sort of, uh, you know, ancient or primitive cultures, or maybe even just cultures that are outside of American culture, And think of big statues, whether those are big statues in temples that people bow down to, or if they're little statues that that people put in homes, or they put on the sides of the street. And and this still happens in other countries. It was definitely the major way that people worshipped previously. But this still happens in other countries, whether it's big giant temples with large idols that represent gods, or it's small little ones in in homes. And that's usually what we think of when we think of idols idols. But let me tell you what happens when people are doing that. What, what, why, why do people go to these statues, these representations of gods? What, what is happening with idolatry? What, what is it? Well, he, let me explain it to you. So imagine that you have um, a woman, that a family that's trying to have children and they're not able to have children. And so they may go to a fertility goddess they may go to a temple, or maybe they have in their home, or at some place in the, the town, there's an idol to some fertility goddess, some goddess that's in charge of providing fertility and blessing people with fertility. And so you may go to that idol and you may make uh, prayers to that idol and you may bring a drink offering and set it next to that idol or a food offering and set it next to that idol. You may uh, come to that idol and bring sacrifices. It, you may bring animal sacrifices or even, I mean, in some places, people bring human sacrifices to different idols. So you've got some woman and some family that's desiring children. So they're making sacrifices to this idol and they're praying to this idol and they're making offerings to this idol and they're asking, we will serve you, fertility goddess. We will do what you say if you bless us with that which it is that we want, with that which is most important to us. We want children. Will you provide us with this? And this goddess, this idol would represent that which it is that they most want that which it is that is most valuable to them. It's a way to control your life and the circumstances in your life to get what it is that you want. And so if we understand that concept, that that's what idolatry is, then we can understand how it applies to our lives today. Because I would wager that probably none of you in this room, I mean, I guess someone could shock me, but probably none of you in this room have little idols in your home that you pray to or you bow down to. You probably don't go to temples with large statues of idols that you worship. That's probably not something that you do. And yet, idols are still very prevalent in all of our lives. Because if, if the concept of idolatry is something that you value, something that you prize, something that is significant to you, something that you're willing to sacrifice for, something that you're willing to make offerings for, something that you're willing to serve, something you pray about, something that you build your life towards and that you really, really, really want, if that's the concept of idolatry, if that's what it actually is, I mean, don't we all have something like that in our life, if not multiple things like that in our life? See, idols are not just statues. An idol can be pretty much anything or everything. Especially good things. I mean, the most predominant idols are the good things in your life their family, their success, their security, its comfort, things that aren't bad things in and of themselves, and yet they become an ultimate thing. They become something that takes the place of God in our life. They become something that we build our life around, something that we pour our life out towards, that we make sacrifices of our money for, sacrifices of our time for, sacrifices of our families for. You see people that pursue their career and sacrifice their friendships and they sacrifice their family for their career because career has become an idol or success or money has become an idol. You see this in all sorts of different ways. That an idol is not just a statue. It can be anything, everything in your life that you build your life around that's not the one true God. It can even be God or Jesus. Misunderstood. John's been railing against this throughout his letter, that people have false ideas of Jesus or false ideas of God. And you create a false version of God and and then begin to build your life around a false idea of God. John has been talking about that many times throughout the letter. There's a true God. There's a true Jesus. It's not just a concept that you want of him to be. But an idol can be many things in our lives. It can be anything in our lives, something that you look to for meaning, for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for contentment, that which most reigns in your heart. So what effect then do idols have? What do idols affect in your life? See, they affect everything in your life. There's areas in your life where you know this already. There's areas in your life that you're aware of, that you see. Yeah, I've got tendencies to build my life on something other than than the true God. I have tendencies in my life to let something take highest position in my heart other than God. Something I most desire other than God. You, You are aware of some of these things in your life. You're not blind to all of these areas, but there are areas in your life that you are blind to, that are unknown to you because they've become so ingrained in you. They've become so habitual, patterns that you've lived in for a long time. Maybe that you were taught by your parents or that you have learned through various circumstances and experiences. Families that you were raised in or different things that have happened to you that you have built up different idols in your life. And here's what can happen. Here's how idolatry works. You will see in your life different maybe sins in your life different attitudes that you have, different actions that you do, bad habits and character flaws that you you see pop up in different places in your life. And sometimes it's like playing whack-a-mole that you're trying to knock this one down, but then this one pops up and knock this one down and this one pops up and and you're just kind of going through this battle all the time. And what happens is you never actually deal with the root of it. See, I've told you before that I'm... Allergic to gluten, one of the worst problems of my entire existence. Um, I know that's a drama queen thing to say. Third world problems, I can't have gluten. Um, But here's what happened before I knew this. Before I knew this, I'd get a bad headache, really bad headache, so I'd take some aspirin. And then I maybe the next day or maybe only a few hours later, I'd get a really bad stomach ache. And so I'd take some Tums and maybe some Pepto-Bismol and some ginger ale, mix it all up in a nice little smoothie, drink it down. And then maybe the next day, I'd just be really tired. So I'd drink energy drinks or drink coffee or would try to get my energy up. And all these different things would happen. I would try to treat them with different things. And it wasn't until I went to a doctor... And the doctor was able to see what was actually going on inside and diagnose me and say, there's something deeper going on inside that leads to all these different symptoms. It's not just a headache problem or a stomachache problem or a tiredness problem. There's something going on inside of you that we have to treat. That's how idolatry works. That there's different things that pop up in your life, attitudes, actions, character flaws, different things that pop up. Sometimes that you're like, man, where did that come from? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? Different things that pop up. And you might try to treat those different symptoms, but unless you reach down to the roots, it's never really dealt with. Because idols will affect every single thing in your life. All of your life will flow from what God it is that you worship. All of your life will flow from that. Everything in your life flows from what God you worship. And John uses the language here of knowing. Throughout this letter, he's going to say, we know this and we know this. And it's not just an intellectual knowledge of God he's talking about, but an experiential knowledge of God. That whatever God you know, and when the Bible talks about know, it's talking about an intimacy, an intimacy, a a depth of relationship. Whatever God you know will affect Everything else in your life. So if you know the true God. Then you will know work through knowing that God. You will know marriage through knowing that God. You will know friendship through knowing that God. That the God that you know. Leads to how you know everything else in your life. And if you know a false God. If you know an idol in your life. If that's the God that you know intimately. Then that is through that lens. How you'll know everything else in your life. And so we're going to look at different areas that a worship of God or a worship of an idol will affect. That's really what this last section of of John's letter shows us, is how worship of God or worship of an idol affects different parts of our life. But before we do that, I want to help make it more specific for you. I want to help make it more tangible for you. Something that you can actually grab onto as we talk about this so that you can look at your own life because we all have tendencies to worship different gods than the true God. So in your seat in front of you, there's a a piece of paper and there should be, I think, four per row, so there should be enough, but you can pass it left or right. And it lists out some different comments. So I, I'll read the first one here. And it says, circle the thoughts that are lodged in your heart. And we're not going to spend a long time on this. You can take this home. You can, you can do this on your own. But, but give it a quick skim and kind of circle some different areas and some things that stand out to you. But for instance, the first one says, and this is, this is from an author and counselor named David Powelson. And the first one on here says, power idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. Does that stand out to you? Does that, does that appeal to you? Does that seem like that resonates in your heart? Then, then circle that and kind of go through and look at the ones that stand out to you. Because an idol is something that we look to for value, for worth, for significance, for meaning other than God. Other than God. So, so look through that list and, and find some areas and circle some areas so that you can have some tangible, concrete things to think about as we talk about how idols affect the different parts of our life. And I'll just read a, a couple of these too, but you can, you can keep looking through that on your own. But comfort idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have the kind of pleasure, experience, a particular quality of life. Is that is that stand out to you? Are you always pursuing comfort? If you have comfort in your life, is that what makes you feel valuable? Is that what you have to have? Are you building your life around comfort or helping idolatry? Life only has meaning. I only have worth if people are dependent on me and need me. Many times for guys, this can be true of anyone, but many times for guys. Number eight, work idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I am highly productive. Getting a lot done. Very common in the church for those that are Christians or have been a part of the church for a long time is number 11, religion idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I'm adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplished in its activities. Image idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have a particular kind of look or body image. Look through this list. Circle the ones that that stand out to you. This is like a good doctor. You know, when you go to the doctor, you go to... Um, and, and they give you the list of all the different types of symptoms. Are you having headaches? Are you having back pains? Are you having? If you're like me, I, I, every, if I just see it, I just start circling everything. Yeah, I, my back is kind of hurting right now. And Oh yeah, my foot is kind of hurting. All of a sudden, yeah, I do have a headache. That, that's how I am whenever I see these things, and maybe it's because it's true. But as you see this, look through, and what stands out to you? Circle some of those that stand out to you. And you can keep doing that throughout the time, or, or, you can, or you can take it home, but try to have a few that really stand out to you. And here's, here's kind of a chart, too, that um, was put together by the same guy. And, and I'll, I'll talk about this, and you can work on that even as I'm talking about this if you want. But if you seek power, here's kind of four main idols that, that we often have. Power, approval, comfort, and control. These are some of the deep idols in our hearts. And there may be things like money or a particular person. See, an idol can be a person, it can be a place, it can be an experience, it can be an emotion, it can be anything. And the deep idols in our hearts, power, approval, comfort, control, where really most other idols stem off of that. And if you seek power, success, winning, influence, your greatest nightmare might be humiliation. If you want power, your greatest nightmare might be that you're humiliated. And people around you then often will feel used. And your problem emotion, emotion you might often struggle with, is anger. If you seek approval, you need affirmation or respect or recognition, love, certain relationships in your life. Your greatest nightmare is gonna, might be rejection. It might be rejection, and people around you may often feel smothered. So we talk about codependency or someone being clingy. Why do you think that happens? It's because they're over, they're over wanting, over desiring a relationship. It becomes an idol for them. And actually, like, this is what happens with all idols. It actually backfires and becomes self-destructive. You want a relationship so bad that then you smother another person and they're like, get away from me. And you actually lose that which it is that you wanted. Your problem emotion may be cowardice. You're afraid to meet new people. You're afraid to step on people's toes. You're afraid to say the things you should say because you need people's approval. You need their respect. You need their recognition. You're afraid to show your sins. You're afraid to show the parts of you that maybe you don't think are up to par. If you seek comfort, privacy, lack of stress, freedom, your greatest nightmare may be stress or demands on your life. You don't want stress. You don't want people telling you what to do. You don't want demands on your life because you want comfort. And people around you may often feel neglected. Your problem emotion may be boredom. If you seek control, self-discipline, certainty, standards, your greatest nightmare may be uncertainty. What if things are unclear? What if, things, what if we don't know how things are going to play out? And people around you may often feel condemned because you want everything neat, orderly, exactly how it's supposed to be. So the people then in your life may feel condemned. You're judging them. And your problem emotion may be worry. If you if you want everything controlled in your life, then you may often feel anxious because what if it's not? These are some ways to look at, and even as you go through that chart, these things may be some of the things that bubble up, that that stand out. And look, I mean, just like a doctor, there's, I mean, not everything is on this list. This is a helpful tool, but there can, don't don't look at it and go, well, I don't ever feel humiliated, so I'm, you know, power must not be something I'm seeking. I mean, you can put other things in here. This is a, a helpful diagnostic tool. So I want you to think of something as we go through this time. Something that particularly stands out to you. As we look at how idols, how worship affects every part of our life. So the first part of our life that it affects is our relationship with God. This is what John says. This is the, be- this is the beginning of uh, this is chapter 5 starting in verse 13. And he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So John says, the reason I've been writing this letter is that you would know that you have life in relationship with Jesus forever. That's what eternal life is. That's what we talked about last week. He says, I write these things so that you would know you have it. So John has given us several tests. Do we obey God? Do we experience God? Do we love other people? Do we believe that Jesus is the Christ as the Bible presents him? So he's given us several tests so we can read the letter and go, yeah, okay, I do know him. I am a Christian. I, I am in relationship with God. He gives us tests. And you need to know that as we've been going through the letter. Have, have you passed the tests? Have you listened to what John has said and go, yes, I do know God. He wants you to have an assurance He wants you to have a peace. He wants you to have a confidence. Or he wants you to repent if you fail the tests and don't know him. But he says he writes this so that we would know that we have eternal life. Life in relationship with Jesus forever. And here's what happens if we know that. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. See, if you are worshiping the true God, here's what happens. When you are worshiping the true God, you've seen who he is. You've seen that he's a father. You've seen that he gives grace. You've seen that he gives mercy. You see that he's full of love. You see those things. Then in your heart, you come to him. You come to him with confidence confidence. You come to him with boldness, and you know that he hears you. You know he hears you because you've seen his character. You've seen his goodness. See, perhaps the biggest indicator of if you're worshiping the true God or not is how often you pray. That's perhaps the biggest indicator of if you're worshiping the true God or not. Because if you are really seeing who God is, you couldn't help but pray. You couldn't help but go to him with confidence, with boldness, knowing he hears you. You you couldn't help but do it if you're really seeing who he is. But if you pray little, if you pray small, it's because your view of God is small. If If you view God's love as small, then you'll pray small. If you view God's power as small, then you pray small. If you view God's wisdom as small then you pray small. But if you are worshiping the true God, if you see and know the true God, then you won't be able to help but pray. You won't be able to help but come to him with confidence, with boldness, because he hears you. But if you're worshiping an idol, if you're worshiping some other God, if some other God is really what has captured your heart, then you won't come to God and pray. Instead, what would happen is that you will you will pray to a different God. See, you will pray to a God. And I I don't necessarily mean that you'll get down on your knees and fold your hands and bow your head and close your eyes, but you will pray to a God. If you know the true God, you will worship Him. You will come to Him with confidence. You will come to Him with boldness. But prayer is a conversation. It's a conversation. And if you're worshiping a false God... If there's something else in your life that's most valuable to you, most precious to you, that you need for worth, value, significance, that you are building your life around, then you will still have many conversations, many prayers around getting that thing. Those may be emails that you send. They may be, um, they may be prayers to God, but just some other God to get those things. They may be conversations you have with a, a boss or a coworker or other people. You will be having conversations. you will be praying in some sense to your God, whatever it is that you are desiring, whatever it is that you 're wanting. Maybe this is even just your self talk when you When you talk to yourself, what do you talk to yourself about you 're praying to some God that you desire, something that you want, some emotion experience that you want. You won't, if you're worshiping an idol, you won't come to the true God because you'll be praying to another God and because you won't want his will to be done. See, this says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But if if you want something else, if you don't want God's will because you're not worshiping the true God, then, then you won't often be coming to him in prayer. You'll be seeing some idol as what is valuable, something else that's valuable, not God. And you won't be wanting his will. Perhaps the biggest indicator of if you worship the true God or not is are you coming to him confidently, boldly, knowing he hears you in prayer? Secondly, secondly, it affects our relationships with others. See, when you think of the idea that you can come confidently to God in prayer, when you think of that, man, God says He will hear you. You can pray to Him. What first comes to your mind? When you hear that God says that He will hear you and you can come confidently before Him if you know Him, what comes first to your mind? Okay, sweet. Well, God, I've got some things I'd like to request of you. I've, like, I've got some things I want to talk to you about. My job, my, my relationship with this person, my health. My I mean, we start to think of all the different things in our life that we that we want to talk to him about. We bring our Amazon wish list, as it were, to him to answer all of our requests. But what's interesting is that John says, if you worship the true God, if you know the true God, what." the very next step that is made is actually love for other people. See, what's the prayer? He says you can pray to God. You can talk to him. He will hear you. And then this is what he says. He actually gives us some content to pray. If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So he says the very next move, if you're worshiping the true God, love always follows from worship. When we often think about prayer, and if I told you just a minute ago, man, God, hears your prayers. We think of all the things that then we want from God. But John, the very next move he says that happens is if we're worshiping the true God, what most naturally flows out of worship is love. It's love for other people the most natural flow from seeing the true God, if you see God as a father, the most natural flow is then love for his children. If you see the true God of grace and mercy, the most natural flow is to then want to love other people because he has loved you. That's the most natural step that follows if you are worshiping the true God. That's the most natural step. And and what's interesting here is what he says to do. See, he says that we are supposed to proactively pray for people in our church family when we see them sin. See, he says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, pray for them. We're supposed to take a posture of proactively praying. See, many of us will pray for somebody if they ask us. Somebody comes with a prayer request or says, will you pray for me about this? And that's, that's not bad. I mean, definitely ask people to pray for you. That's great. But John says... Love is proactive. Love is always proactive. It sees someone in need. It sees someone in sin and says, I want to pray for them because I love them. And what John shows us here, too, is that we have a family responsibility. Listen to me on this. We have a family responsibility. Do you see people sin? Do you see other Christians sin? Do you see that? I do. Do you see other Christians sin? Yes, of course you do. And what do we do when we see other Christians sin? What do we, see when, what do, we do when we see a brother committing a sin? What do, what do we do? Well, sometimes we do nothing. That's none of my business. That's between them and God. Who am I to judge? That's their thing. That's their issue. I don't, that's, that's their thing. Okay? That's between them and God. Sometimes we just do nothing. Or sometimes we... Gossip about it. We see somebody else sinning and we say, Hey, can I talk to you about this? What do you think about that person's attitude? What do you think about the way they're treating that other person? I don't I really don't like the way they're treating them. What do you think about that? And we begin to gossip about other people's sin. You can call it whatever you want, you can call it a prayer request, you can call it getting advice, but it's gossip. So we see someone else's sin, we do nothing, we gossip about it. Sometimes we join it, see someone else sin. That looks like fun. Why didn't I think of that? We jump in on it. Or sometimes we just get bothered by it. Maybe it's because it's against us or maybe because we just don't like it. We see their sin and we're like, oh, gosh, why do they keep doing that? They're such an idiot. They're such a jerk. They're so cons- inconsiderate. They're so thoughtless. They're so stupid. I can't believe they keep sinning. I thought they were a Christian. What a hypocrite. And just, We just get bothered by it. And I'm not saying, I mean, it's, it's right and good to be bothered by sin. But we can, just, we can just have a posture of, Oh, gosh, I wish they would stop that. It's really making me disgusted. Or we can go to somebody and just tell them to stop. Hey, could you stop sinning? And we should probably do more of that. I mean, the Bible does tell us to confront each other, to rebuke each other, to help correct each other. It does say to do that. But often that's our, it could be your first move. And what John says here is if you see a brother committing a sin, if you see it, someone in God's family committing a sin, do you feel a responsibility for that? Or do you do nothing? Do you join in on it? What do you do? Do you, when you see somebody committing a sin, do you pray? When's the last time you saw somebody committing a sin? You saw a pattern in someone's life, an attitude in someone's life. You saw something in someone's life that you saw and said, this is sinful. When's the last time you saw that and you went and you talked to God about it? That was your first move. God, I want to talk to you about this. See, because the first step is if we're worshiping the true God, the most natural flow of worship is love. Are you grieved by the people's sin that you see that are in God's family? Are you grieved by that? Does it weigh on your heart? Does it bother you in a way that that you pray for them? Because you love them. And, and look what he says. He says, we pray to them and God will give him life. And that doesn't mean the person's dead and God resurrects them. But it's, it's that that is what, when, when we sin, we're, we're walking out of the life that God intends for us. We're walking out of the joy and the, the power and the purpose that God intends for us. That when we sin, that's what's happening. There's a spiritual death that takes place. And God wants life. He wants joy for us. And if you, if you worship the true God, if you worship God the Father, then your first step is love for his children. It's love for his children, such that if you see sin, you know that's not life. And you want life for them, and so you pray for them. How often do you pray for people? And how often do you pray for people's sin that you see? We see each other sin against each other all the time. And maybe you'll pray for someone if they sin against you. God, please tell that person to stop. Please strike them down. You know, we might pray for someone if they sin against us. But how often do you just see sin in the church and pray for it? Because it grieves you. Because you worship the true God and so you love other people. And you want them to experience the joy and the life that's found in Christ. Even, can you do that this week? Can you do that this week? Maybe there's somebody even now that you have an interpersonal conflict with. Maybe you've been talking about them. Or maybe you've just been frustrated by it. Or maybe you've been telling them, knock it off. But can you this week pray for somebody? Pray for somebody whose sin you see. Maybe it's someone against you. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe, maybe you guys get in arguments and there's a spouse Do you pray for that sin or just tell them to leave you alone, knock it off, tell other people, my husband's such a, my wife's such a, pray. Maybe it's your children even, pray for them. Or maybe it's no one that is sinning directly against you, but just sin that you see. If you worship the true God, the most natural step from worship is love for other people. But if we are worshiping some idol, then people are just people to use. They're just people that we use to get our idol. So you may have really close friendships with people, but people can just be used to get your idol. If you, if you idolize, if an idol for you is respect and people's recognition, then you may be actually really helpful towards other people. You may be really kind towards them, really nice towards them, you may be really helpful towards them because they're used to feed your idol. Thank you so much. You're such a nice person. You're, you're so kind. You're so, you, man, you're a good friend. And we receive this praise and our idol is fed. See, if, if we worship the true God, then the most natural flow from worship is love. But if we worship an idol, people are just used to help us get our idol. We use people to get our idol. That's what happens. So I'm not saying you won't have friends. You may have friends. You may have people in your... You may have close relationships. But they'll still be just used to help you get your idol. People to make you look good. Make you feel good. Help you get hookups. Help you, whatever it might be. People are used. People are used instead of loved. That's how you know if you're worshiping an idol. But this week, even this week, I would just ask you to pray... For somebody, make make that a habit. But pray for somebody this week. Pray for someone's sin that you see this week. It's better than talking about them to other people. It's better than just being upset about it. Pray for them. Next thing, it affects our response to sin. Actually, let me go back on this because oh, there's um a verse in here, I forgot, I, I probably subconsciously just skipped it, but it says, um, there's a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. This is, again, one of those verses that people argue over, and it's kind of confusing. What does that mean, the sin that leads to death? Hopefully I didn't do that. And I mean, it's, it can be kind of a confusing thing. So I'm not going to give you all the different perspectives that are out there on that, but I don't want to skip it. So let me just give you, as I've studied this, the, the, the slant on it that I've taken, the, the, one of the most common ones is... Just, it's a complete rejection of the gospel of Jesus. It's a complete rejection. If you remember, John talks about that there were people that were a part of the church that then left. And he says they were never true Christians by the fact that we saw them leave. And they began to actually teach a false gospel even. They began to talk about a different kind of Jesus. One that wasn't Jesus the Christ, just this own version of Jesus that they had made. And and the church would have tried to call them back and say, hey, repent of that. And hey, come back and and don't teach that and don't believe that. That's what the church would have done. But they were apostate and had, which means that they had left the church and had left the faith and began began teaching a different gospel. And I think that's what he's talking about here. He says, look, there's going to be people around you in the family that sin. And you're going to see that. You're going to see it. Pray for that. But I'm not telling you that you have to pray for those people that have completely rejected the gospel of Jesus, that have completely, after multiple attempts, just rejected him and walked away from him and have even gone so far as to believe a different version of Jesus. I'm not not telling you, and he doesn't tell you, you can't pray for them. But he says, I'm not telling you, you, you need to pray for those people. I'm saying the people here immediately in your family Pray for them. That's what I think it means. Okay, it also affects our response to sin. John says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, that's Jesus, and the evil one does not touch him. So if you worship the true God, you don't want sin in your life. If you worship the true God, you're not not just kind of relaxed about sin being in your life. You're not nonchalant about sin being in your life. You don't want there to be sin in your life. If if you worship the true God, if you've had this born, if you've been born of God, if you're God's child, if you're in his family, then you don't want sin in your life. You don't keep on sinning. You don't want it there because you love God. You don't just see sin as these specific actions. You see it as an offense to your father. You see it as an offense to the one that loves you and cares for you. So you don't keep on sinning. If you worship the true God, you do not keep on sinning. You're not okay with sin. You don't want it in your life. You're adamant about that. And if you do sin, which is what John has told us before, you run to Jesus because you know that he protects you, that the evil one cannot touch you. See, if you're a Christian, you're not going to be okay with sin. If you worship the true God, you love the true God, and you're not going to be okay with sin because you love Jesus, but when you do sin, you run to Jesus. This is what John talked about earlier when he said things like, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is the righteous one that gives us his righteousness, that, that He is a propitiation for our sin, which is that he takes the wrath that we deserve on the cross And instead gives us grace and mercy and adopts us into his family. It's that we can, uh, John said, if we confess our sin, that Jesus cleanses us. So if you worship the true God, you don't want sin in your life. But if there is sin, you run to Jesus because you know that you have a good standing, that God protects you, that the evil one can't touch you, that your salvation is secure in Christ. So you're okay when you sin to be able to confess. You're okay when you sin to to run to God and not fear him because Jesus protects you. You're safe. You're secure. But if you worship an idol, if you worship an idol, you'll either just keep on sinning because that's what you want. And so you'll do things in your life. You'll use people in your life. You'll make choices in your life to get that idol. You'll just keep on sinning because it's important to you. The idol is important to you, so you'll keep on living your life. You may not even see it as sin, so you'll keep on sinning. Because you'll say, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. Family, comfort, security, my moral code, it's a good thing. And so you'll keep just sinning, because you won't won't see it as even sin. Because it's an idol for you, something that's so important, something that's captured your heart. Or if you do see it as sin, you won't repent if you're worshiping an idol. You won't confess if you're worshiping an idol because you look to these idols to give you value. You look to the idols to give you worth, to give you significance, not to Jesus. So you look to them for that. So if you sin and you recognize it's sin, you'll be afraid to go to God. You'll be afraid because you won't believe that Jesus protects you and that the evil one can't touch you. Instead, you'll you'll be unsure of your standing with God. You'll be unsure of your standing with God because your your standing and your security and your value is wrapped up in idols, not in God. Your view of God is lower. So if you sin, you, you, you won't ever want to be confronted about your sin. You won't want to be called out on your sin. You won't like to be convicted of sin, maybe even now. You don't like to be... You don't like to hear about sin because you're unsure of your value and your worth in Christ. Your value and your worth come from other things, other idols. But if you worship the true God, you don't want sin in your life and you run to Jesus when you do sin knowing that you're protected, knowing that your standing is secure. It also affects our view of the world. John says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So he opens each of these statements with, we know this. If you know the true God, this is what you know. We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That if you worship the true God, then you know where you belong. You know where you're going. You know what this world is. And so what you do if you worship the true God is you invest your life in eternal significance. This is what John talked about earlier when he said that we either love the world or we love God. We either build our lives on a love of the world or we build our lives on a love of God. And if you worship the true God, then you know that you're from God and that this world is not all there is. That this world is under the power of the evil one. It's not something to be prized and valued and treasured and live every moment up to the fullest because this is all there is. This is all that counts. This is all we have. Tomorrow, live every day like tomorrow is the last day. This is go all out because you, you know you're from God. If you worship the true God, you know you're from God. But if you worship an idol, then you view the world as great because your idol is a part of this world. Whatever idol that you would be worshiping, it's a part of this world. People's approval, success, relationships, they're all a part of this world. So you don't view this world as something negative. You don't view that it's under the power of the evil one, that it's against God. You instead love it and you build your life around it. And you may try to fit God in there somewhere, but only after you've built your life around a love of the world. See, if you worship the true God, you know That this world's not all there is. And that you are from God and you will be going and returning back to God. And that this world is something that is not our home. But if you worship some idol, it's a part of this world. And so you're going to love the world and treasure the world. And want to get your fill of the world. And finally, it affects our use of knowledge. This is the last part of what he says. And we know that the Son of God has come. And has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. So he says that God has come and He's given us understanding. So He's given us the Word, He's given us the Bible, He's given us Scriptures, He teaches us things. Why does God teach us? He teaches us To lead us to a depth of relationship with Jesus, He teaches us to lead us to know Him more and experience life in Him more and intimacy and to know Jesus. So, all knowledge is to lead us to a deeper relationship with Jesus. But if you're worshiping some idol, if you're worshiping some other God, then that's not how you use knowledge. You don't use knowledge to get you to Jesus. You don't use the truth of God's word to get you to Jesus. Instead, your view of knowledge will be to serve you getting your idols. So let me give you an example. If if, If one of your idols is a relationship, let's say, some relationship, then you will not do what John told us earlier, which was test the spirits. He said everything that comes your way, test it. Is it leading you to a depth of relationship with Christ? Test the spirits, John said earlier. And if you have some idol, then knowledge will be used to get you to your idol. So if you have an idol of relationships, then anything you hear about relationships, as long as it gets you to a relationship, that's what you're going to go for. So you'll listen to this advice, you'll listen to this counsel, you'll read these blogs, you'll read these magazines, you'll read these things, you'll watch these things on TV to get you to... Your idol of relationship. And you'll just take everything in. As long as it is praising. Or lifting up. Or leading you toward your idol. You don't discern. You just go towards it. Knowledge isn't used to get you to a depth of relationship with Jesus. It's used to get you to your idol. Or. If. Perhaps. And very common in the church. Religion and your own moral performance. Is an idol for you. Then. Then what would happen is you you don't you, you you believe yes God has given us understanding but you don't say so that we may know Him who is true instead you want all the understanding you can have you want all the you may study your your Bible you may listen to podcasts you may you may know this thing front and back you may read the Bible often why so that you can get your idol of being a person of understanding. So that people applaud you, respect you. You're so helpful. You've got such good advice. I really like talking to you. You know so much. You Approval, respect, recognition. It serves your idol. So you want understanding. You want knowledge. But why? To lead you to a depth of relationship with Jesus? Or that so people know you're a person of understanding. You're a person of knowledge. Or so that you feel that. Maybe it's because of power. You feel knowledge gives me power, and I want power, instead of knowledge leading you to depth of relationship with Jesus. See, if you worship the true God, or if you worship an idol, it affects every single part of your life. So what God do you worship? What God do you know what God do you worship? What God do you know? What God is it? What God in your heart really reigns supreme? What do you really build your life around? And look, I, look. everybody in this room would say it's Jesus, it's God. Okay, okay, okay. But not just what you would confess with your mouth. What functionally does your life actually play itself out in? What does your life actually look like? What functionally to you reigns supreme in your heart? What functionally do you build your life on? I know you say it's Jesus. I know you say it's... I know that. Okay. But what does your life actually show? What God do you worship? What God do you worship? And this is not a question that you just answer once. When you marry somebody, you choose to love that person. But you don't just make that a once choice. You then choose to love that person every day. The same is true with this. That if you are a Christian, then you made a choice once to worship the true God. You saw that on the cross, Jesus came. He he paid for your sin. He gave you His life, His righteousness. He resurrected from the dead to bring you into relationship with Him forever. You see that. You believe that. That's worship. But... Every day now, you must make a choice. What God will you worship today, tomorrow, in specific moments? What God will you worship? Little children, keep yourself from idols, John says. Keep yourself from idols. There is a strong pull to worship a different God other than the true God. There is a strong pool. The whole world is in the power of the evil one. In this whole letter, everything we've been talking about, John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's important. And the way to keep yourself from idols is to see the true God. It's to worship the true God. That's how you keep yourself from idols. There are idols in your life. Some of you, some of you in your life, there's idols that have deep holds on you deep holds you may be have you may have been feeling that even throughout this sermon that there are some of you that have deep holds and you didn't even want to listen to what I've been saying because it's it's poking at that idol and you don't want it to be touched you know it's there and you want it to stay there and some of you you have these tendencies to, to lean in that direction, to go in that direction. I just want you to be aware. Keep yourself from idols. Be proactive about that by worshiping the true God. That's what John says. He says, H- him who is true. There's a true God. Idols are lies. Jesus is truth. Idols are destructive and they lead to death. And Jesus is eternal life. Idols tell you lies. And Jesus tells you truth. Idols lead to using other people. And worship of the true God leads to love. Idols enslave you. And the true God gives you freedom. Worship the true God. And keep yourself from idols.